Today's show is brought to you by Rich Nutrients, New Zealand's premier provider of nutrient-dense whole food products. One of my current favourites is their organic beef and turmeric bone broth powder. And the reason for that is it's so convenient, you don't have to go through the whole process of actually making bone broth. And it's super tasty. If you visit their page, richnutrients.co.nz, click onto the shopping page and you'll find a Best Me tab. Under this tab you'll find all of the products that I use and recommend. Now as a Best Me listener, you have the opportunity to receive 10% off all orders over $30, which is a pretty decent discount. All you have to do is enter the Best Me discount code at the checkout, which in one word is Best Me, all in capitals. I hope you enjoy their products as much as I do. You can also find me at HealthFit Collective, which is exactly how it sounds, a collective of health and fitness practitioners, including physiotherapy, psychology, nutrition, we have movement coaches, personal trainers, massage, and much more. Our goal is to guide your dreams to reality, and we do this both within the club and online, offering tailored health plans, small group training, specialist services, corporate wellness, and education. So please go along and visit the page healthfitcollective.co.nz to find out more. You can also book a free 30-minute consultation with no strings attached. Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information inspiration and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Welcome back Best Me community and thanks again for your support and once again had some pretty awesome feedback and some questions about Nora's last interview on fats. Now I can understand that the high fat dietary idea can be very scary uh, for many of us as that's basically against everything we've been taught growing up. Um, but it was very normal and also essential for our ancestors, and I think it's important to understand that. Whereas eating sugars, refined carbohydrates, and all of the other stuff that's in the the current uh, supermarket aisles are relatively new and seem to be pretty catastrophic for our health. Now, so I think it is important to note, and I encourage you all to look into it a little bit further. Um, I've just got uh, Nora's recent book, uh, Primal Fat Burner, and it's a great read, and you can tell it's very well researched. I mean, it's it is researched and it's noted and referenced in the book. Um, I'm also interviewing someone soon who has just completed a PhD in the ketogenic diet for Alzheimer's disease. Um, and for those of you who don't know what the ketogenic diet is, also another high fat diet where you train your body to use um, fat as a primary substrate. Fascinating stuff, but that won't come out for another couple of months yet. So I'll keep you posted. Now, continuing my food food journey uh, to eat more wild foods and sustainable foods, uh, recently I purchased some cricket flour from Rich Nutrients, one of the sponsors of the show. And uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the recent media on the sustainability of insects as a sustainable food um, of the future. Um, but yes, uh, when I said cricket, I meant cricket, the insect. <laughs> so I made some cacao coconut cricket cookies a lot of C's there um, <laughs> I really enjoyed them and I gave them to a lot of other people and I got mostly good feedback um, but I'm currently refining the recipe um, now how does cricket flour taste a lot of people say it's nutty I say it's crickety uh, I think it's got quite a unique flavor I really like it um, I always almost think it's brand tasting um, so yeah I'll post that on my 
my social media as soon as I have a recipe for that. Uh, but you can find that in Rich Nutrients. Um, so yeah, I'll be playing around with that a little bit. And I have been posting on my Instagram live feed uh, some of the experiments there. So um, now, has anyone, hopefully everyone has seen my blog on living a long and happy life leading into this podcast because uh, it really, it's sort of the guts of what we talk about today. Um, a lot more glossed over, obviously, but it's what I pulled together a long time ago. Um, I started writing this one probably a year ago. Uh, a lot of the the commonalities that I noticed with uh, the identified blue zones and the happiest populations on the planet. So the blue zones are the highest concentration of centurions. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of commonalities there. So read over that. There's some stuff on uh, diet, uh, mindset, um, on movement, and mostly you know social connection. Now to this podcast. So who was Bobby? Uh, so Bobby, I know personally very well. He was my senior lecturer at uh, university, and I feel like he was instrumental in my development and really taught me how to learn. And I feel like this really sparked my passion for what I do now. And this reflected on my grades at the time um, across the board, and it, it, it drove me to become one of the, the top students in, in the country at the time. Um, so thank you for that, Bobby. Um, as before that, I was getting good grades, but not great. <laughs> and I was sort of just, um, yeah, I was there um, to, to study something I enjoyed, but I wasn't super inspired until that moment. He also no, uh, taught me how to read studies properly. So um, something I want to dive into in another podcast and and to stay curious so not just regurgitate what has been you know thrown at me at university and in life in general so thanks heaps for that Bobby Bobby that was uh, a game changer for me and obviously he inspired me through his own research and if you check out the show notes um, he has done a lot of research and a lot of uh, published uh, research and studies um on how exercise can prevent and treat chronic illness. Uh, he did his master's in breast, uh, resistance training in breast cancer, for example, and, and showed some fascinating results. Um, and his PhD in uh, end-stage renal disease. So check that out. He's pretty inspiring, well-researched guy. So since then, he's gone on to publish more studies, teach more students, and has even opened his own practice. Um and what you can't help but notice about Bobby and his work is his passion for his mission. And I feel like that's really contagious. Now, on the subject of today, I'm far from a conspiracy theorist or a doomsdayer, but I feel like we can't keep burying our heads in the sand and continuing the way, the way we are as a Western culture. Now, I know that's a broad stroke and that doesn't represent everyone, but this is uh, speaking uh, as uh, to the mass. People are not well. We're not happy. In general, I'm happy, but <laughs> um, and for the first time, our children are not expected to live as long as us, which is pretty scary. Um, and when we really look at the statistics surrounding longevity, we're not we're not we're not living longer, and we'll dive into that a little bit today. I mean, Nora uh, touched on that in the last interview as well. You know, um, you look at how these statistics have been influenced, and you realise that's just not the case. So. Please enjoy this. Uh, please give me some feedback, but I think you'll find this one pretty inspiring and insightful. So welcome back to the show, Best Me community. Um, today we have a special guest and a good friend of mine, actually, Dr. Bobby Chima. 
Bobby is a senior lecturer and researcher at the University of Western Sydney. He's an associate researcher at the National Institute of Complementary Medicine. He is an expert who is highly regarded in exercise prescription for chronic illness and healthy aging. Dr. Cheeman is an accredited exercise physiologist and has a consultancy practice in Campbelltown, New South Wales, Australia, in which I visited him there once before. Dr. Chima has researched and published extensively about the effectiveness of exercise in managing or treating many chronic illnesses, including type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, chronic illness, uh, chronic kidney disease, and end-stage re- uh, renal disease, breast cancer, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. Quite a list. He's also investigated the benefits of yoga and meditation as methods to reduce stress and increase physical activity levels in the office workspace. Bobby is also a husband and a father of two young boys. We're going to talk a little bit about that soon. Um, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Carl. Lovely to be with you and um, thanks for being an inspiration to me and so many exercise prescribers out there. I think uh, it's great that you've formulated this community and um yeah i'm delighted to be here thanks for the invitation oh no worries my pleasure so um bobby is there anything else you want to add to that list <laughs> um, huge credentials obviously there's a lot more you've done but <laughs> expanded uh, consultancy practice to to Austinmere, um okay. in south wales which is on the south coast near wollongong uh and that's where i live fantastic um, so currently practicing out of the house as well great um bobby i don't know where to start here but i'm thinking um, given uh, your your knowledge and your experience, I really want to dive into uh, exercise and wellness and longevity. So, looking sure. at you know um, people or cultures or communities that have not only just survived but they've really thrived and they are thriving. Um, yeah. But before we go there, I want to check in on where you think uh, we're at in the current uh, modern world, I guess. So, in terms of wellness uh, patterns that you see. Um, you know, longevity, I I question, are we living longer but maybe sicker? And Mm. and why is that? Um, Would you like to comment on that? Well, I think there's a lot to explore there. Uh, It's a very vast topic. And um, I I guess the way that I'd like to get into it is just give me, uh, give the audience a bit of a background as to how I got here. Um, So basically, I was I was born and raised in British Columbia, Canada. And um, if you talk to anybody who's visited BC, um, they all comment on how ruggedly beautiful the place is in terms of its, uh, you know, natural landscape, the flora, the fauna. Um, so I grew up with all that, and I grew up with a real like sense of of connection um, to nature, and um, that really profoundly uh, affected me uh, growing up through my, you know, childhood and adolescence. And um, uh, most of my time growing up was spent on Vancouver Island, uh, a town called Nanaimo, is where I grew up primarily. And, um, yeah, that's where I did my, you know, primary school, secondary school, um, played ice hockey competitively growing up. So I had lots of good, um, relationships, uh, lots of good, uh, camaraderie growing up uh, in a sense of discipline that way. Um, but it was that connection to nature that I think really, you know, gave me the inspiration to, um, to travel mm-hmm. and, um, see the world. And one of the trips that I did early on in my life was that, um, a couple of buddies and I actually, uh, purchased an old station wagon uh, hmm. in Nanaimo for, for $500. It was a 75 Volvo. 
Yeah, and we, um, we, we made this decision that we were going to drive it as far as the car could go. We were going to drive south because mm-hmm. you're in Canada. You don't drive north. So <laughs> driving south, and uh, we're like, okay, let's get the station wagon and drive south. And, um, you know, the, the, the station wagon was, was just amazing. And we made it all the way to Costa Rica. Uh, and, and that was a trip that I took uh, with, with a couple of buddies, and I was uh, 19 years of age. And um, it really, like, that was my initiation into manhood. Mm. Uh, which kind of showed me how the world was working, how it was, you know, just, just the vast um, disparities that exist in socioeconomic status. I mean, we went through Mexico, we went through Guatemala, um, Nicaragua, many of the Central American countries just, you know, they don't have the level of wealth that we do in, in Canada, yeah. for example. And that really opened my eyes. Um, and I came back from that and I, um, it, you know, having profoundly affected me, I'm just like, what, uh, what can I do? You know, what, what's my role here? What's my greater calling? Uh, and all those things kind of came to me, um, in my, um, you know, early twenties. Yeah. So I, I decided that, you know, I basically, I wanted, I wanted to make a contribution, um, in, in any way that I could. And, and in studying exercise physiology at uh, UBC, I completed my degree and I, I really wanted to, um, to do something that would impact people's health because I thought exercise was a very powerful form of medicine that could improve people's lives. And, um, you know, that's what I've been doing, um, trying to do ever since, you know, uh, first research study was done in during my master's degree, which I, I did in a group of breast cancer survivors and, um, trying to Im- implement, uh, improve rehabilitation practices there. Uh, and that led me on the journey to, um, to Australia to produce, uh, pursue my PhD. Uh, and that was an end stage renal disease. Um, but I said, I guess my sense of, you know, uh, uh, passion for really wanting to implement change, uh, in, and, and help people out is, is basically what got me here. Um, in, in order to get, get back to your question, I think, um, you know, where are we at in terms of wellness? Well, I can tell you like as part of my journey, um, you know, I'm, I'm 43 years of age now and, uh, it's, it's come to my you know, I've, I've basically come to the point where I'm saying there's a real division in, in how we view health in this world. And, um, uh, you know, that was kind of brought to light in the last U.S. election, I guess. Very <laughs> the world is divided, you know, yeah. so there's a certain number of people that want to go one way and a certain number of people that want to go another way. Yeah. Um, and a whole bunch in the middle that, you know, don't maybe don't care. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, we're kind of on the cusp of, of radical transformation in terms of how we view health, um, how we pursue health, and how we uh, integrate you know, health into our daily life. Yeah. Uh, my research has led me into a lot of different areas. Uh, the research on longevity specifically has really opened my eyes. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess we can start with some specific questions that you might have in terms of um i'd like to actually go back to to something there so um you talked about travel being such a profound experience um for you to me that really makes me question what intelligence really is you know i think a lot of the time in west in the western world anyway well where where i grew up um intelligence is referenced uh is referencing academia um, where I felt I had a very similar experience in my, my mid-20s and I went to South America and that really just opened up my eyes and made me realize, uh, you know, what what's out there in the world and I came back, I felt like I was a better person and a little bit more complete 
and every time I, my, I travel, I, I feel like that and I feel like I learn something from it and, and you pull things from different cultures, you learn things from different cultures to bring back and potentially, you know, potentially share um, some of that wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that raises a few few questions. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all, but um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, having gone through the whole education system through my PhD, I can I can you know say that had I not complemented uh, that with learning outside of the system, um, yeah. I wouldn't have the perspective that I have today. Yeah, you know, and I think um, you know, travel, reading, um, talking to people, you know, those are the experiences for me. That's true learning, engaging engaging with the world yeah um so so yeah yeah i guess one of my passions is um is looking at ancestral living um and you know what what went right uh, back there what's our physiology our dna um geared up to to do and what's it geared up not to do and yeah. then i guess the tough part is bringing that information uh into the into the modern world so i guess first of all um given your research and your background um, and your passion, in terms of where the current uh, fitness industry is at, um, where where are we going right and where are we going wrong? Because there seems to be some statistics coming out showing that more and more people are, have gym memberships, but less and less people are attending. Um, I can comment on this, but I'd be really interested in hearing your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think... Um Look, I think the way exercise is packaged, it's it's very stale uh, to me. And not only that, just the way it's it's marketed, it's very superficial. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still a very uh, specific focus on body image and and how you look and how you you know it can can um, uh, you know how do you perceive yourself and how do you look. Yeah. I think um, I think that emphasis has to shift a little bit. You know, it has to shift back to you know how are we feeling? How, what we're in it for health? We're not in it for looking. Yeah. We're not in it for showmanship. Um, so, you know, just, just the way that exercise is packaged, I think has to change, uh, exercise itself is an artificial thing, mm-hmm. you know, look back historically, and this is touching on, on some of the questions you raised earlier, how are human beings meant to live? Yeah. You know, and I can read you a quote. This was an article published in 2013. It's called exercise is a real polypill, um, by Carmen Fuza Lucess, uh, and colleagues. So I'll read you the quote. And it says, our genetic makeup is largely shaped to support the physical activity patterns of hunter-gatherer societies living in the Paleolithic era. Okay, so she's quoting genetic research. Hmm. Yeah. For which, so the Paleolithic era, for which food uh, and fluid procurement and and the survival was obligatorily linked to physical activity. The energy expenditure, now this is key, of hunter-gatherers during physical activity can be reached with three to four hours per day of moderate to vigorous physical activity. Yet technological improvements just over 350 generations have led to a dramatic reduction in physical activity, as we know, and currently one-third of adults worldwide are currently inactive. Okay. So we're meant to be physically active all day. You know, we're meant to be on our feet. We're meant to be moving around and, and engaging with our environment. Yeah. Whether that's for, uh, procuring food, fluid, whether that's for play, yeah. uh, leisure, you know, it's it, we're meant to be on our feet. We're not designed to be sitting down for hours on end. Um, so, you know, exercise itself is artificial. It's an artificial way to, to, to build in physical activity. We're not meant to be that moving in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's 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 fascinating that makes so much sense um but it's really quite scary you know when you think about that versus where we are you know in the environment we live in where the 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 average person um you know they get up in the morning have their coffee um drive to work um get to work have another coffee this is you know obviously very uh a very broad stroke but I, i see this a lot of the time uh sit down all day um, and we all know the, the physiological uh, implications of sitting. Um, sit down all day in front of the computer, um, get in their car, drive home, sit in front of the uh, TV, eat their dinner, then go to bed. It's yeah. a huge contrast. Um, I guess yeah. the question is, um, how do we bridge that gap? Like, what, what are some of the techniques and some of the ideas you have around bringing those paleolithic ways of uh, of living uh, into the modern world into the, the you know the joe blogs the 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 businessman the blue collar working man um, into their lives yeah i mean this is the million dollar question <laughs> <laughs> how do we get people more physically active and i think um, you know as we were talking about earlier before we started the interview you know there's a big shift going on in the world yeah, yeah I, and i think people are pulling away more for those from those jobs that don't satisfy them being in positions that don't satisfy them and, and pursuing things that do and i think that's a big part of it because um you know when i consult with a with a client um, it's more about you know sparking in, in them what is um, their interest, you know, what are what are their passions? Uh, and I think to trigger that is you really, you know, that's the golden key um, to behavior change and triggering lifelong physical activity. So, um, you know, I mean, we can spark it step by step. I think with with uh, dedicated training that's really enjoyable and fun. You know, getting out and doing right. boot camp, engaging with the environment, that kind of thing. Mm, uh, Social Exactly, the social connection, the groups. Um, my thing is like producing potentially a, um, a jungle-like atmosphere where people can work out, you know, so you're, you're directly connected with nature, you're getting good oxygen into your lungs, yeah. um, and you're, you're touching the ground, you know. Yeah, what a crazy <laughs> concept that is. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy thing to do with your bare feet and bare yeah. hands. Um, so that's, you know, I think um, those things are kind of on their way up. Um, in order to, to get there, I think it's a stepwise progression for many people. Yeah. You know? I think it's just about helping and guiding them in that process mm-hmm. of behavior change. Being able to, as a prescriber, meet people where they're at. Yeah. Um, exactly. And really... Uh, there's a, there's a gold yeah. nugget right there. You've got to meet people where they're at. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, and try to try to get them to that next step. Yeah. And uh, really, as a prescriber, you can only take people as far as you've gone. Yeah. Really. So yeah. It's, it's more about... It's, it's continuing to work on yourself at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that you can advance your uh, skill set and, and pull people along even further. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. No, that's great. And um, I just want to make a comment there. So I know you've looked into this a bit as well, but um, if we look at the blue zones, you know, some of the the identified healthiest and happiest populations in the world. Yeah. Um, some of the common principles there, you know, movement in general is seen as a part of their life, not something separate. Um they have active lifestyles. Um, they've also got a lot of them have a play element, so they might interact with their friends. They might play play games, cultural games, or even you know football or other sports. Yeah, they never separate. They don't seem to separate exercise from movement. Where today I feel like we we separate the two. So exercise is something that you do because you have to, um, as opposed to actually have a movement element in in your lifestyle. 
which I think mm. is exactly what you're saying. Um, food, um, if we look at food of some of these um, these populations, they have a very, very uh, high a nutrient-dense um, food. And, and I like to say, I think I borrowed this term um, from the Underground Wellness Show, um, that, but Jeff, <laughs> just eat real food. Right. Most of these, uh, it looks like most of the, bl- the blue zones, they, they make their own food. It doesn't mean yeah. it's a perfect diet, but uh, they, they eat real food, usually locally sourced. And they, they all seem to have, you know, a high plant-based diet, but they also have, you know, a, f- a decent amount of meat. But most of the meat seems to be uh, locally sourced and well, well-reared. Yeah, this is what I. This is these are the the commonalities I can see anyway. Um, But social connection, it it seems to be huge. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it seems to be that the healthiest populations and the happiest populations in the world have such a good social connection. They quite often eat in a community or play in a community or um, you know go move in between houses or, or quite often they even dwell in the same the same dwelling. Yeah. I'll give you a contrast. I mean, I just looked up WHO data um, a couple of days ago, just preparing for this. And, you know, what we're taught about longevity is just, um, it, it's very, you know, it's, it, I, call it, I call it propaganda, you yeah. know, essentially, because they're giving us this information that we're currently living longer than ever. And, you know, if you track the data back, you look at those graphs, they go back to the late 1800s. So correct me if I'm wrong, but human beings have been around for a lot longer than a couple of hundred years, you know, I mean, call me crazy, but, um, you know, it's certain that we've been around for at least 40,000 years. Some people like, um, Michael Cremo, who's written Forbidden Archaeology, believe that we've been around for millions of years. Mm -hmm. Um, but just to give you a contrast of those cultures, I mean, if you look at, at the American data for longevity in the 1900s, so this is the year 1900, um, the longevity for the average white male back then was 45, okay? Now, contrast that with an Apache chief who lived it during the same time named Geronimo. Uh, Geronimo lived to be 80 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. He, he spent most of his life on the run, you know, yeah. from being persecuted and killed, essentially. Um, so what's going on there? So you're saying, telling me people are living longer than ever. So is Geronimo just an anomaly, you know, living <laughs> years he died in 1909, um, or is something else going on here? And and yet, you know, the Native American culture, when we um, when we investigate and study it, it has many commonalities with other indigenous cultures throughout mm-hmm. the world. Um, and this brings me back to the information that you actually put on my table, um, looking at the work of Weston A. Price, and you know, he nice. went around the world investigating. Uh, indigenous cultures and not not just the you know what we call the brown-skinned indigenous cultures he studied people in the um, outer hebrides of scotland he studied people uh in in the swiss alps but the common theme was to compare people who are affected by westernization to those who weren't and the themes are clear i mean tremendous amounts of physical activity uh outstanding diet outstanding food preparation practices Uh, usage of animal products in their diet as well yep Uh, not high reliance on meat but use of animal products yep um what else was there uh social connection as you mentioned massive amounts of social connection Mm. but the side effects were fascinating eh? so it seemed like a lot of these uh populations they closer the closer they got to a westernized diet or westernized way of living um the more degeneration they saw in in terms of he was a dentist wasn't he so um the the facial uh structures changed dramatically 
Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a so whole he, lot of behave, physical and behavior, um, even behavioral uh, changes that were noted as well. It's, it's a book I'd highly recommend everyone read if they can. It's just a, it's yeah. a real eye opener. It's available on PDF. If you, if you um, Google nutrition and physical degeneration, it's an outstanding read. Dr. Published Price. 1939 by Weston A. Price. But yeah, he, he compared you know, those populations that were affected by westernization to those who maintain traditional lifestyle practices. Now, if we compare cross-culturally, so even the Aboriginal Australians, if we compare them to the, um, the Gaelics, for example, following yep. their traditional diet. There's a lot of commonalities there. Mm. I mean, the, the, the take-home messages are clear. Uh, we complicate life. Life <laughs> is basic. Life is, is meant to be lived a certain way. You engage with your environment. You engage with people around you. So what did he find? Yeah, good food, lots of physical activity, social connection. You know, that's the theme. And, um, you know, when we can bring people back to that. And I think we're, you know, we're slowly taking steps towards that. Um, mm the quote unquote wellness industry and people who are more um, holistic in their approach to health. Um, yeah. That is going to happen. Um, but it is, you know, it's a progressive thing. And, and, and there's some good science behind a lot of this now as well, which is fantastic. Oh, totally. And we can learn a tremendous amount just by uncovering the past. Yeah. You know? So uh, this is, this is all great that this, this information is coming out. To, to um, I know you've looked into you know, aging and aging uh, well and thriving um, throughout life. Are there any populations um, that you're aware of that are, other than, you know, some of the blue zones I mentioned before, which everyone should check out, but um, where a lot of centurions dwell and thrive? Yeah. So the example that I know best, um, there's actually been empirical research in that area is, is Okinawa, Japan. Yeah. Uh, and Okinawa is a set of islands that's it's probably closer to Taiwan than it is to Tokyo, um, but it's way down in the south of Japan. And on those sets of islands <clears throat> is the highest number of centenarians uh, per capita than anywhere else in the world. Um, and of course, the same themes come out when when you investigate that culture. You know, real connection to the environment, real connection to each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the, the centenarian study, the, the book, um, the initial book that I read, this uh, is a book that I read back in uh, 2000, I believe, and it's called The Okinawa Program, and um, it's an outstanding read, and uh, okay. I recommend that. Are there any other books or resources that, that um, you often reference or you, you would recommend? Yeah, the one um, that's on my desk right now is How a Man Lived in Three Centuries. So that's the title, How a Man Lived in Three Centuries. Yeah. And this is a book by um, Roger French, and he basically documented the life and lifestyle of a man by the name of Eric Storm. Uh, Eric Storm was born in the late 1800s, and he lived past the year 2000. So he lived, as he, by the title of the book, through three centuries. Um, and it documents his life, um, but also in chapter two, it actually documents uh, the longest living peoples of the world. Mm. So they get into the Hunza people, the Georgians, uh, and there's a few other examples. They reference the China study, which we haven't touched on yet. Yeah. Um, but all these um, examples are coming to light more and more. Um, and clearly, you know, longevity uh, has been historically there's been evidence of it in, yeah. in the species without a doubt uh when we're marred when we're when we're propagandized by graphs that cut off at you know 1890 kind of thing <laughs> then you get into this belief system that we're 
you know, living longer than ever and, you know, healthier than ever, which is complete nonsense in my view. There seems to have been um, a huge shift around. It was about 10,000 years ago um, with the, you know, the rise in agriculture and farming. Um, there seems to be a key, a key time for uh, health changes. I think this was a time when, you know, a lot of uh, grains started to come into our diet a lot more. Um, ways of life changed, so food was more readily available. Uh, there wasn't so much hunting and gathering. Am I correct there? Is that something you've come across? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this this leads us into the, you know the technological revolution, so the industrial revolution, the tech revolution, and, and all this inv- advancement, um, quote unquote, is it's a double edged sword, really, mm. isn't it? Because on one side, you're getting uh, greater productivity, you're getting greater yield, but you're also sacrificing some of your humanness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, we it's can, a great way of putting it. <laughs> I like that. I can I can go to my um, laundry room and put on a load of laundry. Mm. And yeah, no worries. And I can you know <laughs> use other appliances and whatnot. But it's taken away from those things that are you know we're meant to do as human beings. Those are the things, those activities of daily living that keep us human. It seems so disconnected today, eh? and in, in, in many ways. But <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of an example right now. Um, Brooke, my 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 oldest daughter, she came to me a while ago. And she said, Daddy, um, this lamb, is this like, is this like the lambs um, in the field, that bar? And I was like, yes, yes, they are. They're the, the, the same thing. You know, we eat that. And I talked to her about, you know, the circle of life and whatnot. And she said, oh, well, I thought lamb just came in a packet. <laughs> yeah. And that's the world that people are growing up in now. And a lot of people, when they realize, you know, where their meat or their food comes from, um, yeah. it can be quite terrifying. It just seems like we're so disconnected. I mean, if you look at a lot of, um, you know, untouched civilizations or uh, civilizations that haven't moved so much into the Western world, um, they've got a deep connection with where their, their food comes from, you know, from earth to table. Um, so, that has to have some, you know, some mental, spiritual, or f- physical um, side effects, surely. Yeah, I actually saw a really good video on Surfline the other day. It's um story of a big wave surfer named Mark Healy. And um, it wasn't about surfing. It was about spearfishing. Oh, yeah. And in that video, he's basically saying, you know, this is, you know, this is the theme that came out for me is that this is how the human beings were meant to live with their environment. And he said at the end of the video, he goes, when you're eating that fish, you know, that fish gave its life to feed you, yes. you know, and you should honor that. And that really you know, it sent a chill up my spine yeah. because it's like that's the connection. You know, it's like we don't have that connection. We don't have that level of respect yeah. uh, with with our you know animal the animal kingdom that we're part of. Yeah, and you know, with the human beings that we live with. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it, I think yes, by by hunting, people think that hunting is this vicious, cruel thing, but this is the order of the world. Yeah, life, you know, life eats how- life at the end of the day, doesn't it? Ultimately, does you yeah. know, and there's plant life or, or animal life, yeah, absolutely, and we're all part of the same system. And just to get back to Western A. Price's work, he found that all of those cultures were were eating animal products yeah. in some way, shape, or form, you know, yeah. and whether it be blood uh, drunk by the Maasai or milk, yeah, uh, or or butter or meat, yeah, um, that we are, yeah, we are part of that kingdom, and yeah. um, we have a role to play in that, and we're disconnected from it, and it's turned to you know, yeah, um, this this ugly beast yeah i totally agree i mean system 
and our meat is is full of antibiotics yeah. and um, animals Un- unhappy tortured animals basically cases, yeah them. not saying yeah. all of it I mean I'm definitely not a supporter of um of you know um, regular store bought uh, unethically raised um, <laughs> meat that's for sure yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I think, Carl, what we're facing is basically as we free ourselves of the, the chains that are, have shackled us, we, yeah. we become more integrated with our environment. And I think that's really, you know, that's really where humanity needs to go at the end of the day. Because yeah. this type of system has a like finite. A reconnection, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So I think... Um, Fascinating. Mm. Yeah, Conscious uh, consumption. Every dollar is a vote, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, and to, to be quite honest, I mean, we talked about people stuck in the business world and whatnot, man has been turned into a caged animal. You know, we have domesticated. We've been domesticated. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to undomesticate ourselves. Oh, so good. Yeah. And in terms of getting back to what is and what, what should be. And yeah, I mean, you know, people call me hypocrite. I live in a house, you know, I've got the, uh, I don't have a television, but I've got a, you know, washer dryer and dishwasher stuff, you know, all the mod cons. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel most comfortable when I'm outside. Yeah. I feel most comfortable in nature, in the water, yeah. uh, in the forest. And uh, I don't feel comfortable sitting in the house for six to eight hours a day. <laughs> you know? no, no. Yeah. That's, that's why I call it my soul food, you know, getting outside. But it's, it's, it's funny, again, once again, you know, you look at people refer to, you know, the outdoors as nature or as the wild, like it's something separate. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the ecological uh, you know, deep ecology, you know, it's, uh, we're all part of the same thing. And it just seems like we're really starting to separate ourselves mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. elements, like it's something completely different. <laughs> yeah. Totally. That's for another, that's for another day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, living naturally, I think exercise is, is just, just a given. Yeah. Um, you know, I love training and, and, and the overload and all that kind mm. of stuff and, and complementing, um, you know, my leisure time with, with the heavy training. And I think that's really important. And I think there's evidence of that historically in these in these cultures as well. Yeah, you know, even in Okinawa, they have their own form of martial arts, for example. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Actually, that brings up a, a really good point. Last time we chatted, we talked about uh, your pyramid. Uh, I'd like you to share that with us. Your exercise pyramid. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a really nice way of packaging movement. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So basically, there's a lot of physical activity pyramids out there. Um, but I, I didn't really think that any one of them really fit kind of how I wanted to approach, uh, helping people with yeah. my consultations. Um, so basically the pyramid is, is threefold. There's three layers to it. Um, the bottom layer is the exercise training. Okay. So that's what we conventionally know is, you know, the aerobic conditioning, um, the yeah. resistance training, that kind of thing. So that's the base of the pyramid. Yeah. And the, the reason why I put that at the base of the pyramid is, is that if you're building a house, um, you have to build a strong foundation. Yep. If you're building a body, you have to build a strong foundation. And to me, uh, the training and the dedication to training, that's what mm-hmm. builds the foundation. Yep. Um, so the, tra- the training that I recommend, I recommend everybody lift weights. You know, resistance training is, is definitely part of it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I do recommend uh, step counts. That's part of the aerobic conditioning, but that's low to moderate intensity. Yep. Um, I also recommend to people if it's suitable, uh, some kind of high intensity interval training yep. uh, for cardiovascular health, because we know for cardiovascular health that that is superior. Yeah. And conditioning as well in terms of uh, composition. Yeah, absolutely. So for the heart, for the blood vessels, that yeah. uh, hit type of approach yeah. to training is really good. Um, and then I also give like daily calisthenics for just general strengthening and um, 
motor patterning as well, eh? teaching good teaching movement. Good, yeah, mobilization and um, flexibility. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, second level of the pyramid is your activities of daily living. Yep. So this is where quality of life comes in. So you've got this training, great. You know, you're going to boost your quality of life just by engaging in training. But that base, that foundation of strength and, um, you know, aerobic fitness and whatnot, that contributes to a better quality of life overall. And and where we engage the most is with our activities of daily living. You know, these are things to be done all day long. Yeah. So if there's – and I'll I'll write a list out for people. So if there's laundry to be folded, fold it. If there's washing to be done, wash it. Dishes to be done do the dishes, sweep, sweep the floors, vacuum the house, wash the cars, do it, you know, minimize your sitting time. Yep. Cause you're sitting enough at work. You know? yeah, yeah. Most people are, um, minimize your sitting time. So be active and on your feet the whole so day good. long. And so all that stuff, all that stuff adds up at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's most of it is low to moderate intensity, but it's still calorie burning. Totally. And in a way it's therapeutic. Um, not only for the body is the body's getting stimulation, but also the mind. Yep. So it's like, you know, I feel much better looking at a, a clean house with a dash, uh, you know, <laughs> full of dishes yep. rather than lying in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nice, tidy mind. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the third level of pyramid is, is what I call the, um, the leisure or the recreational, so um, <laughs> that's the inspired Yep. level yeah and for me that would be you know surfing yeah uh, hiking getting out in the nature uh and for most people it is that and i ask 90 of people i go do you like being outside and you know 99 of the time it's like yes i love it hmm. um so making them conscious of that and just presenting them with scenarios they might not even like know what they like yeah you know that's that's, yeah, uh, that's a key question i think yeah i think uh, it's a common it's a common theme that emerges throughout a consultation. It's yep. like people have no idea what they like mm. in terms of activity. So yep. trying to spark that in them. Well, have you thought about this way? Have you thought about going? <laughs> have you thought about rock climbing? You know, have you thought about hang gliding? Hang on. <laughs> Exercise can be fun. What? <laughs> That's right. So whatever it is that gives them that kick, that spark, you know, I think when you can trigger that in somebody, then you got hooked. Find the passion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, this is so far removed from the whole, you know, come on in to the gym, yeah. you know, do your 10 minutes of treadmill. Because do you're told it's good for you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and there's just no inspiration. You're looking at white walls and yeah. listening to music that, you sh- you know, is not so good. Yeah, to me, I, I had a big old rant about this at a um, paleo convention I, I talked at a couple of years ago. And I realized right then that, I'm probably going to find it quite hard to to find a a job in a normal gym after after this rant. So I better make uh, health fit work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, but dare to be different. And I think you know, as we said before, it's the time of the entrepreneur. It's the time to come up with these novel ideas using the information that you not received through yeah. university, um, for the most part. Get creative. Get outside the totally, box, man. I think. I, mean, I think I think you've already kind of answered this, but I was going to say, how do you make it stick? Like, how do you really work on that adherence? And I guess part of that comes down to you know finding that passion or, or even finding the why. Is there anything else you you use to keep to to make it stick and make exercise a part of someone's life as opposed to you know uh, something that's not going to that they might do sporadically for a few years? Yeah, yeah. I'll say, um, you know, we have the hardest job. Hmm in the healthcare industry um 
exercise physiologists have, have just for the first time been integrated into healthcare in, yep. in the Australian system. And we've been in it since 2006. And I tell all my students, I say, you know, we have the hardest job in healthcare because behavior change. I mean, you try to reverse somebody's chronic disease, yeah. 30 years of bad habits or even 40 or 50 well, years. It would be multi-generationally. Yeah. I mean, these values oh, and, and behaviors are passed down. Yeah, absolutely. So we have the hardest job in the world. And I think, you know, no matter no matter how much contact we have, we have with some people, you're going to fail yeah. yep. without a doubt. So there's only some people, there's, there, there's a certain proportion of people that you can help. Yep. And there's another proportion of people that you won't be able to help. Mm-hmm. You know, my, um, my message is basically help those that you can help those that are, that are interested and, and, um, can, can engage and, you know, but to answer your question, I mean, you know, you just want to make it fun, enjoyable for them. Yes. I think that is key. It comes back to you know what you're into is just is the the play approach, yeah. which is um, I think uh, is it Fraser Quelch is that the fellow's name that the Institute of Play? Um, yeah, remember the um, TEDx talk? Oh yeah, play. oh yes, you sent me that actually a while ago. Yeah, I'll find that again. <laughs> it's great. I'll, I'll send a link. I'll, I'll post a link actually in the the show notes. Yeah, but I'd love to hear your perspective on making it stick. I, I think. You, no, you, um, I, I totally agree. For me, um, there's a few things that, that that stand out. Definitely finding the why, you know, and and in that first consultation, I think it's key. Uh, why are you here? You know, why did you even set foot in this room? Uh, what are your expectations? And you know, why do you want to lose your your ten kilos? You know. And when you start digging, it's really interesting what might come up, and then you connect that emotional response to their, to their goals. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. I think making the process fun is is key, and, and like you said, find that passion. So that might be different for everyone. Some people might be passionate about lifting weights um, or using machines, and that that's fine. Um, other people might really enjoy going for a bushwalk. Um, someone else might enjoy surfing. And other people just don't know what they enjoy because ex- you know, movement hasn't been a part of their life, and that's when you can have a little bit of fun and try and try and work out what what you know what works for them. I think that's really really important. A couple of other things as well, I think uh, accountability is key, and that's where obviously there's a place for for us. But also, I think accountability used to come from from community. Um, you know, holding each other accountable, whether you you know it or not. Um, and I've really noticed this with, with HealthFit. We've got such a strong community. And all I have to do is guide the – I mean, that's what our role is, but all I have to do is guide the process, sometimes facilitate something. But quite a lot of the time you'll find that um, people will inspire each other or they'll provoke something that empowers them to, to change. And um, I think that is um, really, really important. Obviously, there's an educational component as well. Um but yeah, changing that mindset around uh, failure as well, I think is key. Uh, no one's, I mean, have you ever met someone with a perfectly smooth journey that goes from A to Z in a nice linear ma- uh, fashion? I don't think that's ever happened. It's never happened to me, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so actually understanding that failure isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's also an opportunity to learn and grow and yeah. become aware of what may have derailed you because it happens to all of us. And then how can we set up a plan to make sure that doesn't happen again? Yeah, um, that's yeah I think those things are key. But I think what you said uh, about finding that passion is just, yeah, it's so, so important. I think that's awesome. 
Yeah. I think you've, you've done some really like insightful um, thinking on that. And it's just, you know, the, the list you prepared there is just outstanding. <laughs> Thanks, man. Just getting- I, mean, I don't know how much of that is, um, you know, research, but that's just what I've noticed in terms of practical application anyway. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's knowledge. You know, that's, that's years of knowledge. And um, I think just getting back to that failure point, the average person fails about six times before they adopt a new behavior. Fantastic. Uh, so don't be worried about failing. And <laughs> I'll be backing up with some statistics. That's great. <laughs> it's it's good to fail, and it's good to know where your limits are, so that you can work on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that becomes very difficult for some people to face. I mean, I, it's it's you know delving into a consultation. Um, oftentimes, there there comes out uh, trauma. Yeah. In childhood. Yeah. Uh, often. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like dealing with all that, you know, what got this person here? Because I deal a lot with chronic disease. So what got this person here with type 2 diabetes and, yeah. you know, they're lined up for a gastric sleeve operation. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's just so much there and it's there's so much psychologically rooted yeah. uh, in that scenario. It's, it's a physiological illness, but yeah. it's psychologically based. And I think unraveling that is, is really, you know. Yeah, it's amazing what can come out of it's a real uh, process of uncovering, unraveling, rehashing, dealing with it, bringing it to the conscious mind yeah. um, and dealing with it again. And, you know, we all have that going on internally in some yeah. way, shape or form. Those, um, that voice that holds us back, um, yeah. those situations in our history that hold us back and uh, to, to deal with that and uncover that. I think that's one of the real things that I love about being um, in the line of work that I am. Mm. is being able to see the shift in people yeah. uh, and that's the re- most rewarding thing oh, man i've got so much respect for what you do and you know obviously you're you're educating people like myself which is great and i love the way you do it but i think it's so important and so um inspiring that you actually keep your ear to the ground and you see it from the other side as well as a uh, you know a teacher of the masses or a guide or a, a trainer whatever one you call yourself um, i think it's really important yeah, thank you. So, yeah, well done there, man. That's awesome. Um, I just want to dive into a little bit. Um, what have you learned as a as a father? For me, um, I mean, there's a few things. Or, or not not even just what have you learned. Like, how has that changed the way you view uh, wellness? I mean, for me, that example before, just awareness around you know Earth to table was one big one, and yeah. it made me realize how disconnected I was, and it's made me really. Um, uh, become quite a conscious consumer. The other thing is uh, that I've learned is you know to teach is to be. Um, so you know be the person you want to see your you know your children become, or or, or at least try and inspire them in some way, yeah. rather than lecture. Yeah. Um, for me as well, I've learned so much around movement. I look at you know Brooke move, and you know flat foot deep squat for example is just uh it's a normal resting position yeah. <laughs> um, Go figure. it's all natural isn't oh, it? it was brilliant i quite often re- uh, reference this 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 time i had brooke we went out to the garden I, I think it's important that she understands where her food comes from we went out to the garden we collected some some greens we brought them inside we washed them i got her to wash them in a little bowl she's on the bench which probably isn't ideal but on the bench at the time and she noticed some leaves had dropped off at the other end of the bench. And I saw her. She was in this deep squat um, washing them. I saw her do this perfect little duck walk in a, in a deep squat position a couple of meters away. Picked up the leaves, duck walked back. 
dropped them in the the bowl and then did this perfect posture squat. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I tried well, it afterwards. It was a little bit of a different to, story, but yeah, um, the dad was able to repeat that or not? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that incredible? Like, you know, I watch her crawl and and play and um, yeah. react to the environment, and I think I feel like it's something we we unlearn. Yeah, I, it's funny you say it that way. I mean, it's just. Uh, I feel so much of parenting is just getting out of the way. Yeah, you know, totally it's like, <laughs> I, I hate to bring it down to that basic denominator, but it, it is just about providing your, I think for me, it has been providing them with the opportunities, Yep. you know, not enforcing anything on them yep. and yep. just seeing what they do with it. Definitely. Yeah. Climbing comes naturally. I take my kids to the climbing gym. It comes naturally to them. I don't have to teach them. Yeah. You know, taking breath uh, for the first time. <laughs> standing up on a surfboard comes naturally. You know, oh. it's just oh, bang! You know, they see it, they see somebody do it, and then they oh, do yeah. it. Um, and I, I think for for me, in terms of uh, being a good father, is providing my kids with the opportunity to engage in life. Yeah, <laughs> you get know? those shoes off, get outside, yeah. find some exactly. space. <laughs> you know, we have a television. I we haven't had a television. Um, my wife and I. I don't think we've ever had one. But I think um, two thousand four. <laughs> that's maybe. so funny. Oh, that's great. Two thousand four. That's fantastic. I was yeah, gonna say, I've, I've been without house- a TV for the past year. Yeah, we had housemates back yeah. then. It's so, so it's been know. great. And and I've got a TV now. We just got one because we moved into a slightly bigger place. Okay. Um, I think we've used it once to watch a yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, get up off the couch. So you know, my my older son, he's getting slightly addicted to it because yeah. we we get like we put him programs on on the the internet, uh, but we limit it to weekends so he can watch one hour on the weekends. Yeah. You know, uh, but the rest of the time he's out. He's on the beach. He's you know he's doing his thing. He's playing in the garden. He's he's playing on the grass. And kids naturally want to do that. They naturally want to explore. Yeah. So I think by um. But being a good parent these days is, you know, pulling kids away from the tablets that's, that's, that's and, so good, and the man. phones and, just and all that kind of stuff. I really like that. <laughs> yeah, get it, getting them back into that natural environment. And yeah. they, they love it. They just, yeah. you know, that's where they feel comfortable and they engage. I, I think um, totally. any parent will tell you when with kids are watching TV for too long, it, they lose their kid. Well, there's it's some like, research behind that now as well, eh? around uh, intelligence and IQ and uh, TV watching. Oh, they've got it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I see it in my kids. It's like they're in a trance. Yeah. So I snap my fingers and they're still not coming too, you know? Yeah, do, um, I notice that huge shift there. As soon as I get um, Brooke outside, for example, she's just a completely different person. If she gets a little bit grumpy and titchy, take her outside for a little bit, she comes back a completely different person. It's incredible. Yeah. You don't you don't see too many kids, um, you know, having a, a temper tantrum on the beach or yeah. – or in the park, um, it's it it happens, but it's not the norm. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's that's where kids feel comfortable. Yeah. It's, uh, is out is outside and out in nature and engaging with their environment, and that's how they learn that interaction. You know, so they're me- mechanic, you know, physically interacting with the world and yeah. touching leaves and trees and having conversations and working around others. And you oh, know, that, yeah. I just remember that just sparked a memory for me. Actually, I remember this day, and Brooke was only three years old. And she was looking outside. She's going, Dad, can we get outside? And I looked outside and it was it was wet. It was raining. And I said, oh, no, not today, Bob. You know, it's a bit wet. And she turns to me and looks at me and she says, Dad, you can put on a jacket. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, okay, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, I put on yeah. a jacket. We got outside and we, we got wet and we got dirty, but it was amazing. And yeah, it was such, yeah, a cool, such a cool experience, eh? Like, 
you know, I, I feel like we create these artificial barriers that don't even exist or they don't need to exist. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and we can learn a lot from our kids and our kids, uh, you know, I think our kids are our best teachers yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because they teach you about you, where your limitations are and your programming. If you let them, you know, yeah. that's what, that's what they're pointing out to you. Um, so it's an opportunity for you to, to grow tremendously as a human being and, and being a father has done nothing. Um, I think, um, it's helped me tremendously develop yep. myself and be better as a, as a person. As a better, as <laughs> Adaptability a is something you definitely learn as a parent as well, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry? Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going with the flow and trusting. Going with the flow. How about that? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I feel like we can, uh, we can talk about this for a while. <laughs> um, Bobby, is there anything else uh, you would like to explore today? Um, oh, there's one more thing actually I wanted to ask you. Um, do you meditate? And what are your thoughts on meditation? Yeah, I have uh, meditated uh, in years past. I've crept away from it. Uh, <laughs> it's, I don't have any excuses. I think it's it's very valuable. Um, it's valuable to bring into daily life. Yeah. Um, the thing that I've really worked on over the past few years, even though I'm not meditating, is trying to become more present. Mm. Uh, and even in the lead up to this uh, podcast, you know, I was trying to trying to focus on just what I was doing rather than forecasting ahead going, you know, what kind of questions is Carl going to ask me? How am I going to respond? <laughs> and getting into that whole mental... haven't thrown you too many curveballs there? <laughs> no, it's, it's been great. Um, so just trying to be present, I think, has been... Um, I've been trying to focus on on getting better at that, and I think I have been uh, improving. So um, even though I don't meditate, I, I try to keep my focus to the present moment, yeah. and yeah. that is always challenging. I think, in, especially in this anal- analytical, scientific, and uh, empirical "quote unquote" world that we live in, yeah. um, to kind of remain focused on the task at hand rather than yeah. problem solving. I mean, yeah. But- it doesn't, you know, obviously there's a, there's a bit of research behind meditation now and, um, you know, mindfulness is a very, you know, um, fashionable topic at the moment. But at the end of the day, um, you know, mindfulness can be practiced in anything, can't it? You can, you can do me- uh, meditative movement. Uh, you can go for a nice uh, mindful walk th- uh, through the bushes in nature. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you might just sit down and take a few deep breaths and breathe out. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think one of the ways, sorry to interrupt you there, but one of the ways that I try to ground myself is just to feel the earth, you know, literally just plant your feet, mm. push down, or um, it could be as simple as touching a wall, just yep. knowing that that wall is there, just to center yourself and center your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and this is a skill I think it's really important as, as, um, as an educator to have that because um, I find I give my best lectures when I'm fully present and I'm not worried too much about making specific points and making sure that I nail everything and yada, yada, yada. but just being present and let it, let the energies kind of flow through me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great, man. I mean, as a, as one of your former students, I can say that your, your passion and the way that you engage with, uh, with people is definitely contagious and inspiring. Um, are there any, I mean, yeah, I think you pretty much answered this, but in terms of the education system, um, do you think, in terms of uh, academia, do you think something needs to shift? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if these structures uh, can be saved. Um, if I could approach it that way, I mean, maybe they just have to collapse entirely. I think, you know, the way that I see universities 
um, is that universities to me are in a bit of a panic. And the reason I say it that way is because they don't know what they're actually training kids for. Because the, the rate of change we're seeing right now in the world, what kind of jobs are going to exist in five years? What kind of jobs are going to exist in 10 years? So I think there's a lot of fear um, as to you know what the future holds. And universities don't change rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of the, you know, I mean, just uh, the institution um, is just so difficult um, to shift even towards a conventional level of thinking. I mean, if you want to study food at university, you're studying biotech. Yeah. You're not studying organic food. Yeah. Um, and yet there's been a conscious shift. I mean, the conscious consumer has made that shift already. We need to eat, you know, good food, yeah. uh, organically grown, uh, you know, um, free-ranging animals. Uh, yeah, real food. Yeah, so that has already happened in the real world. And yet, what are universities still teaching? Well, they're teaching biotech. Why are they teaching that? Because they're creating graduates that are hopefully going to get a job for Nestle or some other, you know, kind of food manufacturing company or something. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, in terms of consciousness shifting, um, I don't I don't know if universities are really driving that. I think it's coming from a grassroots level. Yeah. Um, universities, do they need to shift? Of course they do. You know, I think a lot of the stuff that we're teaching is antiquated. I think it needs a massive revamp yep. in terms of how it's delivered. I think it needs a massive revamp in terms of just input from uh, the real world setting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think research is important. It's important to validate what we're doing and whatnot. Um, but I think that trips us up a lot of the time. Yeah. Clearly, exercise is good. Um, exercise, for example, in, in cancer rehabilitation has been investigated since 1983. Okay, So there's a truckload of data there, but yet it has not been integrated into clinical practice. Um, so, you know, I, I feel on? like this might be uh, something we can talk about in the future, actually. I'd love to really dive into this as well. Yeah. Exercise but you know, as a medicine. Absolutely. And universities, they, they definitely need to shift, but I, I don't know if they're, they're going to be meeting the shift. I think it's the age of the entrepreneur. Mm. I touched on this earlier. With those creative ideas who are not afraid to step outside the box, they're the, they're the ones that are going to make a difference in the real world um, while everybody else is still stuck in the same cycles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know that's, if I'm That's great. That's a great message, man. Um, and I, I hope I hope it does start to... Um, to shift a little bit but but even having lecturers like yourself you know that's uh that that is inspiring a lot of people um to, to start really thinking and learning um as opposed to regurgitating i think that's key and that's, that's one of the reasons i was so eager to get you on here um because i know how much of a i mean maybe i wouldn't have even been here you know without you um and your you know your inspiration at at uni so that's great you know you really made me think about things in a different way you really made me uh question everything which I think is key, you know, stay curious um, and not just, yeah, uh, repeat information uh, that's taught to you. A lot of the time I found that didn't stick anyway. Uh, I'd learn information for a test and I'd pass it and then I'd forget it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's great, man. Thanks again. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And just to, just to say um, that, you know, what goes around comes around and, and now you're my teacher. So um, <laughs> we're all each other's teacher, aren't we? <laughs> that's absolutely it. And, yeah. you know, to, to, to see you excel in your career has just been um, outstanding for oh, me thanks, to watch that and lot, yeah. part of um, this little community that, that you've created and seeing it going bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, just thank you for your, your inspiration and all your hard work. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate it. it. I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. But before we leave, 
Um, I do have a question for you. Um, if you could pass on one message, one idea, or one piece of information to every single human being on this planet, what would that be? Uh, two words. Know thyself. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, and that's it. Because I think that is the crux. I mean, that's the key to living, um, is discovering who you are. And nobody ever teaches you that in school. Yeah. Um, so know thyself. That's great, it, man. I mean, we could pretty much tie everything we just talked about into that. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to figure that one out, but yeah. um, I, I still don't know still myself. <laughs> That's, uh, it feels like a never-ending journey for me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's. It's uh, just when you think you've got it nailed, it's uh, something yep. else comes up and throws you a curveball. <laughs> but that's um, that's the lovely dance that we call life, and. Uh, that's what makes it so interesting and um, keeps us on our toes and always always developing and yeah. um, changing. So that's great. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so I challenge everyone uh, that's listening to this today to we've got a few gold nuggets here to go through this and write down a few notes. Um, I want you to really think about uh, what your passion is. Find that passion, and, and is it even a part of your life at the moment? And if it's not, how can it be? Um, and like uh, Bobby said before, try and find those uh, those uh, try and find opportunities for movement in your day. Um, also, try and think about you know how you feel when you do actually connect with others, when you connect with nature, when you move, or when you do certain types of movement. Um, I also challenge you to be a conscious consumer. So think about where you, where your money's going. Is it does it fit in line with your uh, your values? I think that's key. Um, and do you know who you are? Know thyself. Do you know who you are? Um, in short, for me, probably not, but I feel like I'm getting to know myself a lot better every day <laughs> through these mindful practices. Um, Bobby, this is, that was awesome. There's so many gold nuggets there. I feel like we could branch off in a million different directions, and I'm sure that we will in the future. And uh, thanks again for coming on and Best of luck with everything. Where can people uh, find you, and what are you what are you working on at the moment? And where can people find you? Yeah, lots of things. Actually, the the integration of exercise into cancer care is a big one, um, and there's multiple projects going on at the moment. So we're trying to integrate uh, cancer into to a number of clinics uh, in the Sydney region. Um, as that's one of my, my my main focuses at the moment. Uh, as far as where can people find me, just drbobbychima.com. Uh, down at the bottom of the page, you'll find my links to, to Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. Um, Facebook is is probably where I'm at most of the time with um, updates and whatnot. So, and that's just uh, Dr. Bobby Chima, isn't it, on Facebook? DrBobbyChima.com. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just like us on Facebook, as they say. Right. Yes. He, um, I do follow uh, your posts, and they're really good. There's a lot of um, scientific research to back up what Bobby's saying, which I really enjoy, and there's a lot of practical application too. So thanks again, Bobby, for coming on. That was that was amazing. Uh, like I said before, you're you're a great guy with a great vision, and you've got so much passion, um, which I'm sure everyone felt then. And I feel like, uh, yeah, you're itching to to, to spread uh, a lot of information, which you have a ton of. Uh, and I'll, I'm sure we'll have you on the show again. Uh, thanks again, and thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, please go along to the Wellness Couch um, to check out the, the podcast. Also, bestme.co.nz. Um, and I'll also have a link there and have a look at the show notes and I'll put some, some links to Bobby's work, um, to some of the things we talked about today. 
um, and anything extra uh, that, that Bobby wants to add there as well. So thanks again, guys, and I challenge you all to step into the best version of yourself. And thanks, Bobby. Thank you. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.